You are listening to the Piedmont Church Podcast. To learn more about Piedmont Church, including our gathering times in Macon, you can visit us online at piedmontchurch.net. We are in week three of this sermon series called Screens. If you haven't been watching with us or attending with us, I'd encourage you to go back and watch the first two because this week three right here kind of builds off of those two sermons. So I want to I open it up and I'm going to ask you a question. What does it mean for you to take control of your life? What would it mean for you to take control of your life? As you think about that question, maybe, maybe you kind of lean into financial questions and financial freedom and going, hey, here's what it would take for me to have control of my life and not have the burden of these debts and this payment and not enough money here or not enough money there or the freedom of, of these situations off of me. Maybe, maybe that's where your mind goes. Maybe your mind goes if, if you're a student in the room and going, you know, I just need to be free of my parents. That's where the freedom of control in my life and the freedom of all the things will come is when I graduate high school or college. Or maybe, you know, you're a 20-something and you still haven't had your, your footing underneath you and you're still kind of leaning on your parents for some stuff. And you're going, man, if I could ever get these things, then my life would be completely free. I could take control of my life. As we've been diving into this Screens sermon and this series, I've really kind of started studying and being uh, acutely aware of my dependence on this little device right here. And I don't think I'm alone in this, but I've been noticing my tendencies and my habits. I I have all the things set up to alert me of, hey, here's how much time you spent on your screen this week, here's how much time you've spent on social media and emails and text messaging and all that. But what I've noticed is a couple of things. First off, and one of the first things that I do, if not the first thing that I do, every single morning after I roll over and I turn off my device that's waking me up, because if it doesn't wake me up, I won't wake up unless my four-year-old is tugging on me, Daddy, wake up. We're going to be late for school and I'm going to be late to the, the office. But I, I turn my device off and I immediately open it. And I check my emails, I check my bank account, I check uh, social media. Notice, I haven't said I've read my Bible. This is your pastor saying he didn't wake up first thing in the morning and have an hour-long quiet time and have his tea and coffee and incense burning. That was not me. That ain't me. Just FYI. I'm not a morning person. You can talk to me in the morning, but I'm probably a little gruff and rough and you know, it's much better at 10 at night than it is at 10 in the morning, but that's who I am. The first thing in the morning, I, I have a tendency to look at this device. The last thing I do most nights is I'm watching a TV show right before I go to bed. Now, some of you are going, man, this pastor's terrible. And some of you are going, that sounds like my life. This pastor's still terrible. He's supposed to be better than us or something, right? That's what we hold. We, hold, we think pastors are just all of a sudden these like holier than thou's. And, and hopefully you come here and you learn that I'm not that. But, um, that's what we have. We have these things in our life where we're going, man, I, I look at this thing a lot. I, I'm either my, my phone or TV, whatever it is, we look at it a lot. And over the last couple of weeks, I, I've been leaning in to, to these, I don't know, habits that I have. And I've been wondering, at, at what point do these tools that I have to help operate my life and help me move in, in a, a better pace and more efficiently, at what point do these tools that I have to help move me, do they start controlling me? 
At what point do these objects and these things that I have to operate begin operating me? On average, people spend six hours and 58 minutes a day on some sort of a screen. If you're Gen Z in the room, you spend nine hours a day on a screen. I don't know if you know this, but most doctors advise that you sleep, adults, somewhere between seven and nine hours a night. And if you're a child, somewhere between eight and 12 hours a night. So if you start doing the math of your screen time and your sleep time, there's really not much more time left in your day. Think about that. Think about the amount of time we spend on things and where it goes. Several years ago, the American Heart Association partnered with the NFL. And they came out with this campaign called Play 60. If you're a sports watcher, you've probably seen it because the commercials are everywhere. And what happened was they started seeing there was a bunch of little fat kids. Excuse me. That's what we were, right? And we weren't going out and playing. What were we doing? We were watching cartoons and playing video games and doing all the things. And they said, we need to get all these kids who are a little overweight. And we need to get them out of screens. And we need to get them doing something physical having physical activity, so we put together this thing. The NFL and the American Heart Association said, what if we got kids to play for 60 minutes a day so that they could put down these screens, put down these devices, and actually, I don't know, be children, right? And be physically active. We are living in a world that is uncharted territory. I say all those things to you to talk about screens and talk about kind of our, our need and our use of them because if you reflect... 40, 50 years ago, they weren't a thing, but there's something more alarming than that. We talked about it, I think, in week one, but how quickly our technology is progressing and how quickly our world is progressing is just at a rate that we really can't perceive on a daily basis. So let me give you an example. I'm I'm a 35-year-old man, right? I have two kids who, those two kids don't know the world without a smart device. Let me, let me rewind. And some of you are going, wow, this guy's young. Some of you guys are going, well, this guy's really old. But I'm 35, so I can remember having a house phone that was connected to a cord, right? I can remember this one house phone that had a cord also only having one line. And for those of you who are younger than me going, what does that mean? That means if you're on the phone and somebody calls you, they're going to get beep, 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 you know. And maybe, I think there was some voice that said something, right? But I remember that, that house phone that only had one line. And then I remember uh, call waiting. Any of y'all remember this? Where you would hold the, at least at my phone, I would hold the off, I'd get a beep beep while I was on the phone with somebody. I'd hold the off button for a second and I could click over to the other person, right? And then I remember getting caller ID and I could go, oh, I don't even want to talk to this person. I don't have to answer the phone at all. And now we have a computer in our pocket. And let me give you something else crazy. So that's how I grew up with one house phone in our home. As an adult, I have never owned a house phone, right? Like, so I grew up with one device, and this is how our life worked. You had one house phone with really one line. And then, as an adult, just a few years after growing up, right, I've never even owned a home phone. Now, some of you are sitting here going, man, I remember my 8-track, right, riding in my car, plugging that in. And then you can remember going from 8-tracks to what? Cassette tapes, right? And my favorite cassette tapes were you had the Walkman and the batteries are about to die, and then all of a sudden it sounded like that. You know, anybody else remember this, right? 
Some of you are going, I don't know what you're talking about. The best thing to listen to slowly when it's about to die is the DC Talk Jesus Freak album. When the batteries are about to die, amazing. Anyway, 8-track, then you go to cassette tapes, then we go CDs, and now music's just like out there, right? You just kind of somehow open up something on your phone and it's just here. And when we think about that for a second, how, how much your life has changed with technology and with screens. And, and as we move forward, what we've got to acknowledge is that today is different, not than just 40 years ago, but today might be different than yesterday. Today might be different than even a year ago. And so when we lean into this, this question of what does it mean for you to take control of your life, I think what we need to understand is that we need to learn how to take control of our screens. We need to learn how to take control of screens in our lives for us, but also for our kids, for others that watch us and people around us. We need to learn how to become in control of all the devices in our life. And I think the answer to, to finding control begins with this idea of fasting. Fasting. So what I want to do before we get to our main text here in just a moment is I want to kind of give us some quick foundations. Because if I was to survey the room, I would imagine that a good percentage of us have never fasted. If we have, it was once for like a cake auction or something for a youth group thing. Like you fast for 24 hours, you donate this much money, and then they give you an apple pie. I don't, I don't, I've heard of those things. I've never been a part of them, but I've heard of them, right? Fasting is not something that's normative in our culture. I mean, we've heard of intermittent fasting, you know, but that's not really spiritual. That's so you can look thin and mean, right? But fasting, spiritual fasting, we're going, yeah, I mean, I've heard of it. I think it's in the Bible somewhere, but why skip lunch? It's good. So I want to give us some foundations and, and some some insight before we get to the words of Jesus in, in, in Matthew about kind of why fasting is important and why we need it. So if you have your uh, bulletins this morning, I've got an outline in there for you. You can take it out and follow along with me. But the first principle as we move to kind of a foundation of what fasting is and why we could need it is that we are both bodies and spirits. So to begin to understand why fasting is important, we need to get to this idea of understanding why it's important is that we are both a body and a spirit. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, when God's creating man, it says that God formed the man of the dust from the ground. So there's the body part. But Adam is just laying there lifeless, and it says that then he, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. There is the spirit right there. So we are both body and we are spirit together. Now you can go throughout Scripture. I think I even have the references in that bulletin. But the Lord reveals this truth to us time and time again. You can look in Ecclesiastes and Matthew and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and James and, and even further. But we need to see that we are both a body and a spirit pre-fall. And then when the fall comes, what happens is our body and our spirit are then broken. And important to know is that when we give our life to Jesus, when he has come and we have seen and heard and responded to the gospel, you did not all of a sudden get a new body, did you? Right? I mean, did anybody else like walk down an aisle and all of a sudden like you lost 50 pounds and you were looking mean? That's probably not what happened. 
But you know what Bible does say about you? You were given a new spirit. So in Christ, you were given a new spirit, but you still function in this broken vessel. Paul talks about it in Romans often, over and over again, honestly, about the, the struggle between this new spirit and this broken vessel. And in, when he's writing to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Here's where fasting comes into play. If we are in Christ... We need to know that we've been given a new spirit, but our body is still broken. And in order for us to take control of our life, here's the second foundation for fasting. We need to be in control of our bodies and not the other way around. You tracking? You've got a spirit. He's new. She's new in Christ. You've been given this by the Lord through the power of his spirit. Everyone who's put their faith in Jesus, you've been made into a new creation. But you have this vessel, this thing that is still broken, and you need to be in control of it. And that's where fasting comes in. John Piper says this. He says, fasting is a way of saying with our stomach and our whole body how much we need and want and trust Jesus. So this is kind of the foundational, in about five minutes, a biblical principle for what Fasting, why fasting is important, and how we get to this place to answer the question of how do we get control of our lives by looking at fasting. And, and Jesus, here in just a moment, is going to unpack some of these things. Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bible with me, uh, or with you, please turn there with me. I'd love for you to have a physical Bible uh, and turn there. And let's, as we're on a sermon series screens, it'd be amazing if you didn't put your screen down and look at the Bible. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. These are Jesus' words in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching to a, a sea of people. And he says this. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that you have, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So as we lean into this text, I want you to look. The first thing that Jesus says right here says, and when you fast. Now, this isn't some like new teaching, right? Jesus knows exactly who he's communicating to. He says, and when you fast. This is actually kind of a trichotomy place right here in this sermon. There's two different places where he says something similar. Earlier in chapter 6, he looks at the people and says, and when you pray. Pray like this. So the expectation of prayer is there. Later he says, and when you give to those in need. It's not a, hey, if you have extra, give. Hey, it's not a, when you find the time, you should pray. It's not a, when your life works out well, then you should fast. It's, and when you do these things, and when you pray, and when you give, and when you fast. 
is a declarative statement that there is an expectation from the Lord that you are doing this. Like this is an active part of your life. In Christ, we are to be praying, to be giving, and he says to be fasting. Throughout Scripture, fasting occurs time and time again. You can see it in Daniel and Ezra and Esther and Moses and Paul. Even the entire nation of Zion at one point. The apostles and Jesus himself fasted. Jesus right here in this, these opening words in the middle of this sermon is saying, when you fast. And so there's an expectation on us. So I want you to think about it. When is the last time, or have you ever, fasted? And, and I don't mean just gave up food. I mean truly leaned in to the spiritual discipline of fasting. Look, if you've never done it, don't feel guilty. I heard, I heard a statistic recently that 85% of church, long-life church members have never done it. So you are probably not alone as you sit there and go, I don't really know what it looks like. I don't really know what it feels like. I don't really know what to do. Listen, you're probably not alone. I remember the first time I, I, I fasted, I, I was in sixth grade. And our, our church was, was doing uh, some sort of mission night. Uh, and we were trying to raise awareness for those around the world who both didn't have the gospel, but they also didn't have food. And so for 24 hours, we were called as a church to give up food, but to also then pray. So the amount of time that we would spend on preparing food, the amount of time we would spend on eating the food, we spent that time in prayer in sixth grade. Now, truthfully, if I'm honest with you, I was with the youth group while we were doing this, and I was thinking way more about the girl on the end of the aisle than I was about the Lord. But we did it, right? We were there. We fasted. Or did we? Some of us might have. I probably did not. But what God is getting us to look at right here in this text is that fasting should be a part of your life. If you say, I follow Jesus, I trust him in my eternity, fasting should be a part of your life. What we need to look further is to what is, what is it? Fasting isn't just a physical discipline. It is a spiritual feast. Now, I think most often, I think I have this quote in there, most often we don't fast because we aren't willing to sacrifice discomfort. And we aren't willing to sacrifice discomfort because we don't believe that it will do anything. Think about it. Why don't you fast? Is it because you weren't aware of the spiritual discipline? That's probably not it. You probably knew, most of you in the room who've, who've kind of grown up in church or been around the church, you've probably heard of fasting. But you probably don't do it on a regular basis. Why not? Well, probably deep down inside, if you were going to just speak to yourself kind of in the mirror, you, you might say, I really don't know if it's going to do anything. I really don't believe in the power of it. Now, I don't know that you say that to somebody else, but I think you might say it to yourself. And here's my logic behind that. If you truly believed in the power of it, then what is holding you back? You know, I mentioned a couple years ago, the popularity of this intermittent fasting thing. I, I think it was like four years ago that I started having friend after friend after friend that was like, yeah, you know, I've lost 30 pounds because I've, all I did was I, I stopped eating. <laughs> I was like, squeeze me? Like, yeah, I mean, I guess we can all lose a lot of weight if we just stop eating. He was like, no, 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 no. 
I did intermittent fasting. So, you know, from 8 p.m. at night till, I don't know, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, the next day, I just didn't eat anything. But I can have like water or like black coffee. Can't do anything else like that. And they'd walk me through all these things. And, you know, it was one of those things like, man, that sounds, that sounds awesome physically. Like that's, that's an amazing thing. And, and then the next person I'd hear, they'd say the same thing. And then somebody with me would hear them and they'd start intermittent fasting. And they'd go, man, this is a great way. Then they'd go back to like, oh, when we were cavemen, this is how we, you know, yada, yada, all the whole thing. And I'm like, okay, cool. And you'd see time and time again, people showing the experience, and really the benefits of intermittent fasting. And so who's somebody who was on the fence about dieting, and man, I've done, I've tried keto, I've tried Atkins, I've tried counting numbers, I've done Optavia, I've done all the things, and they're going, I haven't lost enough weight. They hear, and then they see the results of intermittent fasting from somebody, and where do they go? Maybe I should try that. And I look at us, and I look at this idea of fasting as a people of God, and I just ask the question, have we ever done it individually? And then after the fact, kind of looked at somebody and go, man, here's what God did through this. Here's how God moved. Now, Jesus is very specific in this text. He says, when you fast, now don't, don't, don't make yourself look all sickly and go, hey guys, I'm fasting today. Can't go to lunch. Oh, we weren't going to invite you to lunch. Well, I'm just letting you know, couldn't be there anyway because I'm fasting, right? That's not what he's telling you to do. But I also don't think that's Jesus saying, you don't ever have to like talk about it. You don't have to keep it this like secret thing forever. I do think it's a thing when you're in the moment and you're kind of in that posture of, of communicating with him that it would probably be best to just make it about you and him. But here's what I do know. Through prayer and fasting, even if I never told anybody that I, that I prayed regularly or that I fasted regularly, I do believe the fruits of what God did in that moment, others would see. And eventually they go, man, how do you connect with God? I had someone ask me earlier this week, what, what, what are the prime things, what are the key things that you do in your heart to be motivated and, and to see God move? Right? You know what I mean? Like there's, there's times in your life where things might feel a little stale with your relationship with God. And you, I mean, you're going through the motions, but you just don't, you don't have that vibrant kind of first love feeling. And so they ask, how, how do you kind of get that going again? And one of the things that came to my mind was fasting. Now for me, that is not necessarily the thing. But it's one of the spiritual disciplines. So I, I look and I, and I tell this person, like, this was not for me, but... For some, fasting is the top thing. For me, it's honestly just opening the Word of God on a regular basis and not having to do it so that I have to teach a Bible study or that I have to preach a sermon, but just like opening it for me is to just get in and hear His Word and then pray and meditate on Him. But what if, what if fasting for you, now this is a call for all of us, but spiritual disciplines are a little bit like spiritual gifts in that there are some that really resonate with us and there are others that aren't as fulfilling. That doesn't mean we shouldn't do them. It just means it might not be our regular go-to, like journaling. I hate my handwriting, so I don't like doing journaling because I have to look at my own handwriting and then I feel terrible about myself. But there are some of you in this room that are going, man, fasting could absolutely be a key to unlock the door of whatever has control of your life. 
the anxiety, the depression, the control issues, the financial freedom, the relationship issues that you're having in your life. And you go, man, I've tried everything. How am I supposed to bend or you know, mend this relationship in this place? How am I supposed to make this thing work? How am I supposed to make that work? I've tried everything, and I'm here to tell you, have you tried fasting? Have you tried putting your spirit over your body and saying, I'm going to discipline you, body, so that we can focus on God and not let the things of this world push us around? Fasting is an intentional step to empty ourselves and sit at the table of God and enjoy Him. So if there's something in between you in the enjoyment of God, whatever that is in your life, maybe fasting can help rid yourself of it. And as we lean into screens and we think about this idea of how, how much we use them, and like I said, how often they just, it's the first thing in the morning, it's the last thing at night, it's the thing in the middle, it's when I'm bored, I just turn the TV on, it's, it's whatever. When I'm bored, I just scroll, it's that email, it's that text, it's that notification, that push notification that's coming here and there, it's that little endorphin hit when somebody comments, likes, or shares on my thing, or it's when I go to YouTube and I just spend hours scrolling through videos, or TikTok, or Reels, or whatever it is for you. What if... Fasting from screens for you could unlock the key to freedom and you take control back of your life and let Jesus permeate through your soul. Are you willing to discipline your body and take control of your life? Now look, fasting, oftentimes, a lot of pastors take this stance. If you say fasting, it has to mean food and water. It can't mean anything else. I obviously don't take that stance. I do think, however, fasting is always a physical discipline. And I would argue that fasting from screens is just as much a physical discipline as it is a mental one. And here's what I mean. Have y'all heard of probably this phantom vibration thing? Right? If you haven't, here's what it is. So my phone's in my pocket right here. It most of the time lives right there. I set my phone down here. I walk over here, I'm doing something, I'm thinking about it. My body sends me what I think is a vibration. It feels exactly like my phone vibrating in my pocket. I go, oh, oh, there's nothing there. My phone's over here. Because every time this phone goes off, I'm not a scientist. I'm just kind of regurgitating what I've heard. Somebody's actually calling me. Appreciate that, Kenny. Thank you. <laughs> I thought I had it on satellite mode. <laughs> You know, every Sunday I think, I wonder if my phone's ever going to go off. That's good. Anyway, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I'm not a scientist. But here's what happens. Every time our phone goes off, we, we get this little spark in us. It's this little moment where we're going, oh, somebody's trying to call me. Somebody's trying to do this, right? This is happening. And our body craves that. And when we don't have our phone, it'll send that same little signal to you going, I want this, huh? I want this. Now, if that's not a physical thing, I don't know what is, right? There's, there's certain mental involved, but there is a physical discipline that we need to see when we are discussing screens. And I believe that fasting can release some of those anxieties, those pressures, and those kind of endorphin hits that we receive from screens. 
that TV show you like that, you know, where you set your DVR or that streaming time and all these different things. And it, what if you could rid yourself of that need for whatever it is? So what we're going to do as a church is this Wednesday is we're, we're going we're gonna to call to fast from screens. Now, I could say Thursday, but you know, my wife's a Cowboys fan, so we're watching the game, right? But for you, I, some of you are going, I'm traveling Wednesday, I can't do it. Here's what I encourage you. As a church body, I, I want us this upcoming Wednesday, if you can, if you're able. Not if you, you know, don't want to or want to. I don't really think the want, Matt. I don't want to, right? <laughs> but I think we should, if we're able, give up screens. Put your phone away. Put your computer away, put your TV off, and just be, like exist, together. Maybe play Monopoly. Don't do that. I mean, it will kill time, though. My wife and I and and the kids played Monopoly a couple years ago, or months ago now. And, uh, man, that brings out the ugly in us. But, uh, you know, but there's, there's something to say about putting yourself over the things in your life, the screens. I mean, think about how much you watch a screen. And I'm not just saying, I know we work, we work, and you've got to work Wednesday. Okay, Friday, Saturday, next Sunday. What if you could find a 24-hour period to say, you know what? I am going to own my temple. And I'm not going to let a screen tell me when to wake up. I'm not going to let a screen tell me when somebody needs to talk to me. I'm going to tell everybody in the world, hey, don't call me. Leave me alone for 24 hours. I'm going to be in control of my life, screen-free, so that I can sit at the table and feast with Jesus. I want to say that quote one more time from John Piper. Fasting is a way of saying with our stomach and our whole body how much we need and want and trust Jesus. Are you willing to step up and say that, that you need, you want, and you trust Jesus. As the band comes up this morning, I thought it would be fitting as we talked about screens and our identity and the ways of taking control of our life, I thought it would be fitting for us to come to the Lord's table. You know, as we we lean in to this sermon series on screens and, and talking about the influence on our life from all the things around us, I can't help but go back to that original scene when Jesus is, is sitting with his disciples. And Paul, Paul retells it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But th- there's this moment where Jesus is sitting with them and I, I, they have really no idea necessarily what, what's coming. And they, they know the Torah very well. They, they know the history and they know the, the poetry in the Old Testament. And so they, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But they still are struggling to see the full picture that the Messiah has come to be the sacrificial lamb. They're still, I believe, holding on to this picture that the Messiah is going to rule over the Roman government. And he's, he, he's at some point going to just be this miraculous warrior God. But yet somehow, Jesus sits with them around this table. 
And they go through the process of washing feet and, and talking and hanging out. You can kind of hear them laughing. And there's also some serious moments in the room. And they're going through this dinner that they, they've, they've gone through, all of them, on a regular basis. This has been a, a normal part of their life. And yet Jesus comes and he starts doing things just a little different. And he takes this bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And I'm sure they're going, what? Well, what do you mean? And it's this picture that in just a short time, Jesus is going to be arrested. Be tried as a criminal, although he is not guilty. He's, he's actually guiltless. And he's going to be beaten. And he's going to be put in front of a crowd and mocked and scorned. He's going to carry his cross. And then he's eventually going to be crucified. He's going to, be, he's going to have nails pierced through both hands and both feet. And he's going to be hung up on a cross in front of an entire crowd of people to die. At no fault of his own. He will become the sacrifice for all of mankind. And this is his body broken. And, and they're not getting that picture, but they're going to see it firsthand very shortly. And then to complete the picture, to, to make sure that it fully makes sense, he pours the wine. He says, this is my blood poured out for you. It's the new covenant. See, I was the sacrificial lamb. I was broken for you. I poured it all out for you. And now, because of that, there's a new covenant. No longer do you have to go through the old ritual systems. No longer do you have to be worried about the holy of holies and the priest and make sure he's doing all his thing and make sure you've got the best goat because I have been the best of all of it. And all you have to do in this new covenant is come to me Repent. Turn from. Recognize who you were. Who you are. And then come and be a new creation in me is what he says at this table. And as we move into this week of thanksgiving, thankfulness, I, I can't think of a better way to celebrate what we're thankful for. To be thankful for Jesus. As we look for energy and motivation to possibly get control of our lives and fast, we come to the table of Jesus. And we say, God, I'm struggling with this thing. I'm struggling with that thing. The, the amount of screens I watch, the content I watch, the amount of conversations I have, what, whatever it is. And it doesn't have to be limited to screens this morning. Although I think a large portion of our room is hooked by screens. And if you don't think you are, I would just I would I would urge you to really evaluate your life. And and maybe coming at the foot of the table where the king feasts and going, look, fasting is putting my physical needs aside so that I can feast at the Lord's table. Maybe that is the answer for you this morning. And so the band's going to play a song. And I want to let it breathe for just a minute before we do. But the table is here for you. Maybe you need to get with your spouse and you need to pray with them. 
Maybe you want to get with your community group and pray together. Maybe there's a friend in here you want to seek out and go, God, get, get, get my heart right. But in just a moment, we're going to open up the room and you'll come and you'll get the blood that was poured out for him and the body that was broken by him. And you'll take it and you'll eat it. And when you do this, you will remember him. And so if you're in the room this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus, I, I just encourage you to stay put. Because you can't remember that which you haven't given your life to. But if you're interested in, in, in knowing what that looks like and taking those next steps, I'd love to, to talk, talk with you, pray with you. I think we have elders in the room, we have church members in the room who would love to take those next steps with you. But this is our time, church, to come forward as a body, come to the table, and feast at the Lord's Supper.